Hey everybody, uh, Blake with Marvel.com here. We have a very special guest on the show today. Please introduce yourself. Hi everyone, I'm Annabelle Atanasio, and, and I'm very happy to be here Blake. <laughs> well, and you're on Bull, which we have to talk about. Yes. Which is one of the top rated shows out right now. It's got to be an exciting time for that. Yeah, it's very surreal. It's very surreal when you're in it because you can't really, it's very hard to be objective about mm. it. So I'm kind of just taking it every day at a time and just be like, hey, I'm just going to work and just going to go do my scenes and then that's it. Um, but the success and the positive react reaction to the show has been really gratifying for all of us. Is it weird, though? Because, like, I mean, you film in the city, right, in New York? We film kind of on the border of Bushwick and Ridgewood. Okay. Um, so not in the city, but sometimes we'll be on location. Like, we were filming at the Bank of America building in Bryant Park the other night. Mm -hmm. So cool. It's It's so cool to, like, be familiar with certain spaces in New York and then shooting them and have them completely transform and That's then you'll cool. never forget that you filmed there the thing that was interesting to me is like the ad campaign for this when it first started was huge yes. or <laughs> it was or the posters were placed perfectly where i saw them everywhere no the, yeah they were just they were aggressive there were there was a lot of them <laughs> it made me start watching the show finally. oh good it was, it was weird because i find i usually I've read books about advertising and how to not fall to the tricks, uh -huh. but I think I fell to this one. <laughs> With like subconsciously, you were just thinking about he'll get you off in your living I room, guess, and you were yeah. like, I may as well check out the show. Yeah, and then googled it and found out some of the I guess backstory to stuff, uh -huh. um, and then. I was like, I gotta just watch this to get it over with, and it was really good. Oh, good! So, I'm glad you liked it. it. Um, they won this round. They they did a, they did a good job, but it was. I mean, you couldn't escape his face. Mm -hmm. You really couldn't. And so when people would ask me, what show are you on? I would just be like, it's the he'll get you off show with the glasses <laughs> and the handsome guy. I'd be like, oh, that guy from the subway. And uh, every, yep. it was just so, it was ubiquitous in New York. And and I think they just kind of, they were really excited about the show mm. and wanted to advertise it. I know that, I mean, I'm sure you get this question all the time, but I mean, did you guys know this was going to be uh, as successful as it no, mm. because it, it did have a lot of the components, at least for a CBS show, because Michael was on NCIS for upwards of 11 seasons, I think. Mm. And Dr. Phil is a big CBS guy. Um, and there's just a lot of components that, that made it a recipe for success, but you never really know. So, again, it, it is like you kind of have to ground yourself each day and be like, it's just, you know, you do your best each day, and then you have no idea what, what's going to happen. And that's all you have. You just leave it on the floor. So is that what – that was actually what I wanted to ask as well. It, do you think part, that's what partly made it that way? Like having just Phil, Dr. Phil's name attached is something that would just yeah be successful. Like he's like the new Oprah or something. Like <laughs> I think I think – well, he does have such a – a large viewership mm. and a lot of fans himself um, that you would think, but again, you really, you really never know. Um, I'm certainly surprised, not because I didn't feel confident in the pilot, but just because it's so rare that something's super successful and and gets a lot of viewers that it's just it, it's truly surreal. There's no other word for it when it happens to be successful you know and, what I mean yeah and how, how much of the the I guess subject matter 
is kind of I assume a lot of it's like true to form as well like the, the getting in the minds of the jurors and everything yeah they try to base I think they try to base as much of it in fact as possible um, and a lot of the strategies are true to the actual trial science like you know the the firm that Dr. Phil and the form that Dr. Phil invented which was trial science and, mm-hmm. and jury selection and, and you know the idea that you can hire people to help you win a case um, that's all that's all pretty accurate to what he invented but there's definitely there's definitely I think I think especially like with my character who's the hacker there's some hacks that are a little bit extreme but I think that that makes the show more dramatic oh, and fun fair, to watch yeah. Yeah. it kind of when I when I watched the the first episode there were a lot of things where I was I was frightened by how <laughs> I guess manipulatable we can be or kind of manipulatable how susceptible we are yes, to being better, manipulated yeah. <laughs> yeah me too I'm really freaked out mm-hmm. about that stuff um, especially having done some research on what what people are capable of um yeah and especially as the season goes on it's you know the character is able to kind of get her way into just about anything because she's relentless Mm -hmm. and persistent but she's also the best at what she does at least you know at least in the scheme of the show so um sometimes i'll read a script and be like oh god this is this is horrible like, I, I, in one episode, I hack into an elevator system and, like, cause it to drop intentionally, like, cause it to stop and then cause it to drop intentionally. And it's kind of uh, more morally questionable, but it's, you know, it's, it definitely makes for, like, an entertaining show. And that, that was what was fascinating, too, about the characters is some of the stuff is morally kind of... Yeah. Like, especially the... So the pilot, the you know, the, the guy there you guys are trying to get off starts out as kind of a scumbag, sort of. Right. And so nobody's teenager. Rooting, rooting for him. And then you realize things. I don't want to spoil it if no one's seen it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Well, I think the show does a good job of presenting people with a lot of guards up and mm-hmm. how and and shows the transition as they slowly shed layers and become more vulnerable and more vulnerable until bull cracks them and locates within them the component he needs to crack open the trial you know what i mean mm-hmm. so the guest stars especially really really go through that that journey throughout the episode I think I think for every episode, which I think is an exciting thing to watch. I mean, there hasn't. It, it's rare to find a show that's so centered around human behavior and the idea of why we do what we do, um, which is such a simple question, but it's also completely unanswerable. So that's that's I think that that theme in the show and that question is what makes me interested each episode in in performing in it touching on that kind of is there anything that you've learned about behavior that's really stuck with you definitely well i the acting teacher i've been studying with for years centers his whole approach on human behavior and how 
we tell stories in pictures, mm-hmm. which is actually a lot like comics. Um, he kind of he kind of dilutes it down to the frame and what what story are you telling in the frame? And if I look at you like that versus if I look at you like that, oh, wow. yeah. what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And because I, I pay attention to that stuff so meticulously because of acting, I think um, I was well suited for for a show that is about you know the subtlety of someone wearing a gold necklace instead of a silver one, or having you know this bumper sticker instead of that one, or cutting their hair you know the difference of a haircut or the difference of like a hand clasp versus this or whatever. Um, so that's that's been the show has made me very mindful of all of that more so than I already was. That's yeah. That's the, if, if that doesn't sell the show for people who haven't watched it yet, I don't know what is because it it's, it could be just another drama, but with that element, yeah, there's nothing like that. I don't think on TV or even before. Yeah, you know? and it's and I think it's relatable in that way to everyone mm-hmm. because we all have weird you know, idiosyncrasies in the way we speak and the way we maneuver throughout rooms with it, with the way we present ourselves with clothes. Um, so in that way, I think the show does a good job of holding a mirror up to us as people and saying, like, I know, I know you do this and, and we're going to center in on that now. Yeah, it was, it was weird. I saw the first episode, and then it was when the kid, the boy who need, he got his hair cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I saw the documentary Amanda Knox uh-huh. on Netflix. Same kind of thing happened, and it's like, this is crazy. Like, there's so much reality in this. It's it's insane. Well, yeah. I mean, the way it's crazy, but the way we live in a visual world, and the way we present ourselves, and is the way, and the way people perceive us is everything. Mm-hmm. What they say, ninety percent of all communication is nonverbal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think it's more. Um, I think it's a few, but yeah, no, That's it crazy. is, and yeah. we don't think about it. We don't like. I don't think that I'm, you know, I'm using my hand emphatically to prove a point. It just happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and that's the stuff with acting and with um, directing that I pay attention to a lot too, because it's hard sometimes when you're acting to allow yourself to do the weird things that you do as a person, mm. and whenever it's you know the best stuff is when you're allowing yourself to do that when it's spontaneous um and i love that segue because i want to talk about the short what can you first off when what's the timeline before we get into details about the thing like when when is it going to be released or it's going to be released next spring okay um it's going to show I can't say where exactly yet, um, but it's going to show in the spring at a festival, and then we'll release it online. Because the the thing that I want most is to have it universally available. Because <laughs> I think at this time, you know, in in life and in the world, it's it's very it'll be very good to have it out there for especially women to watch. Mm. You know, in, in this has been like a year of women being talked over yeah. and defeated. Um, and I think, you know, all I want to do is share the film. So I'm just waiting. I don't want to be, I don't want to speak in too much detail, obviously, because I don't want to ruin it. But Oh, no, you say anything. You say <laughs> that, but uh, no. Um, uh, 
It's I, really. I, I was struck. I really loved the cinematography. Was fantastic. Oh, thank you. And the, I mean, just the long takes. I mean, I, I'm. You'll probably get this question a bunch after it's out. But like, how many takes did, did you do? That's a great question. I uh, we rehearsed the film for like four months. Mm. And we rehearsed it much like a dance. I used to be a dancer before I started film acting. And so we rehearsed, even with the DP, Leo, he would kind of like do the action around us and kind of move with us as if he was the fourth character. Mm -hmm. And then we shot, because I knew we had 12 hours and it was overnight and that was all we had. So I just knew we had to rehearse the crap out of it I say that <laughs> uh, in order to get amazing takes and only really because I knew we would only be able to get three of each little scene oh wow so I'm, I'm, I'm happy you brought that up and I also was thinking about um, because I storyboarded the whole thing so I knew because it was all these long takes and I was in the movie I wasn't going to be able to be sure what was being captured, and I knew each image had to continue the story uh, further, and it couldn't just be something we would, like, chop up and find in the editing room. Everything we shot is in the movie, pretty much. So I kind of designed the film both like a dance and, like, a comic in a way, mm -hmm. in, like, seeing how does this image jump to the next one and continue to progress the story. Well, if every, almost everything you shot in the film... Is in it. You're this. You're gonna be the cinematographer's like best director ever. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, we. I mean, we did a lot of trial runs too. We would shoot rehearsals with Leo. Leo didn't operate the camera because uh, it's study cam, mm -hmm. but he, Leo would just film on his DSLR in a rehearsal room, and so we had it. Just we just knew exactly what we wanted you know because I would look at it and I would say this needs to be more flat or this needs to be more close or this needs to be this or that and obviously like when we got to the space it changed a little but um we we just we all were on such a sim we were on the same page of what we all wanted which is ideal mm -hmm. um and a lot of you know especially like with bull it's usually impossible to like get that kind of rehearsal in and get that kind of preparation in um, but for my for filmmaking and for this particular thing where it all had to be kind of perfect, I just knew we needed to do that. I was curious too when I was watching it because I'm a big fan of like old films mm -hmm. and I had there were a lot of elements of some like old directors that I love. Yeah. So I don't know if that just like what if you're a fan or it was like yeah well Buster Keaton is like <laughs> yes yes because <laughs> yes. the silent aspect of it yeah. yeah that's awesome he is um well the way he tells visual jokes in pictures mm. and the way he, he'll like set up a joke you know with the frame and with the way everything is placed uh towards the frame and the timing of it is all done so well um, and he's the master at that, and that's mm. not really that's not really the way we tell jokes anymore in TV and right. films. It's not usually done in this like physical way. It's a lot of it is like improv, and and it's like a different kind of comedy. But the farce, and especially the farce in cinema and silent film, is something that I just love, and I think is hilarious. So I wanted to kind of go in that direction. That's amazing. Yeah, I was gonna say Chaplin. 
but yeah. Keaton's my guy, but no one ever mentions him. Oh, no. Everybody talks about Chaplin, obviously. Yeah, of course. But Who's also a great example, but for some reason, I don't know. I've seen so many of Buster Keaton's movies in preparation uh, for the movie and also in post. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen, there's a Every Frame of Painting, which is a YouTube series, mm-hmm. It's called Every Frame of Painting, and there's a whole episode on Buster Keaton and oh, his cool. physical comedy and his visual comedy. And basically, you know, it, it shows you very clearly um, the same physical joke. It's like him in front of a car, and the car takes off, and he doesn't know because he's looking in the other direction. And it's shot from diff- two different angles. And you see how in one angle it's funny and one angle it's not. That's amazing. And it's, it, like, very, it just very effectively shows you how well planned out his visual jokes were um and then it also talks about how there's like nobody else really in history who was such a daredevil in in making these like really ballsy physical jokes Mm -hmm. with like falling and you know hanging from buildings and like hopping from a building onto a car moving car he he was just he was really one of a kind did you ever see uh it's a mad mad world no you gotta watch that because he's in his seventies by this point. Yeah, and he did this one scene where he—I think he slips on a banana peel, uh-huh. and he's literally parallel to the ground, and it's him obviously, uh-huh. and he lands flat on his back. Yeah, and he just hops back up. Right, but that's Buster and Keaton. It, and it's like, how do you do that? Yeah, do you have a favorite Keaton film or short or anything? Oh my God, the shorts. Um, I would have to think about it. Yeah. I would have to think about I it. I saw one, Haunted House. Yeah. It was one of my favorites. And then I think he made this movie. If I'm, I might be getting it wrong, but Goat. Mm-hmm. Uh, t- those two are my favorites. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was, yeah, the, you're right. The silent aspect's really been lacking. It's a shame. Yeah. Um, well, just because, why, why now we have, you know, why make a silent movie today? Um, the artist was, I guess, the last. Yeah, which I loved as well. Yeah. Um, but I think I think it definitely has a place today. I think it'll find you know as as like as we continue on, it'll mm. find its way. I thought there was an episode of Transparent, the first episode of the season that it wasn't silent, but it almost felt silent. It was very you know a lot of score, um, where Jeffrey Tambor is looking for this girl he he speaks on the phone with um and i thought that was really beautiful and almost felt like a silent film just with score um yeah i'll have to check it out yeah definitely um and i also um as you can probably tell if you've seen the movie amelie i kind of wanted to satirize I mean, her, that is such a, like, a comedic movie, but also it's a love story. And I kind of wanted to be, like, the anti-Amelie with this movie. Oh, by, nice. like, really playing up the f- the French cafe music mm-hmm. and um, the colors and having it be geared up to be a love story and then have it be flipped once um, she finds out the truth. Was Did you watch any... I'm sure you've seen these films anyway, but... Uh, a lot of like going back to cinematography, it felt a lot like a Orson Wellesian kind of thing too. Oh, like nice. just with the long takes and everything's something's going on. You see these long take films, yeah. and they th- there's no point to it. But this one had a point, and it, it just uh, that's more of a comment than a question, I guess. But <laughs> well, um, that's that's really nice of you to have brought up. 
Um, I I had seen a few mo- a few shorts of this filmmaker Celia Rolson Hall. Okay. Who who came out with her first feature last year, um, but she's had some you know pretty successful short films, and many of them are very long takes or just one take. Mm-hmm. And she had this great one called Prom or Prom Night where it's like she's dancing with the camera and it just spirals totally out of control and the camera's on some sort of steady cam um, or handheld and it's moving with her and I just loved the way um, she was moving in synchrony with the camera. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I do feel, it's kind of hard for me at least to forget the camera's there. I think that you, for me, I like to to move in accordance to it rather than disavow it. Oh, okay. Um, some actors are the complete opposite and are like, I don't care what the camera is. I just move accordingly, you know, based on the scene. Mm-hmm. But I, as a director, I feel more comfortable and I kind of can't help treating it as the third member of the scene. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then I, I got to mention the story too, though, because it, it has a lot to do. I mean, it... it I won't do it justice if I say anything. So you say, oh, you know. If, I'm sure you will. Uh, what the what the movie's about? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like it has a lot of implications, sort of with I. From what I gather, like you know, like the not really the online dating scene, but having somebody, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like, it's, oh god. Well, I don't. <laughs> um, I I the reason I wrote it was um. I had just graduated and was in kind of a slump anyway and went on this a, a series of dates with this dude that truly wouldn't stop talking mm. and would not stop telling me how much he read and not stop using giant words that nobody uses <laughs> in real life that I knew. I knew what they meant, but I kept being like, why are what, what, did you like go in the dictionary before and pull out like five syllable words to use? And it really it really made me feel horrible about myself and belittled and then coincidentally around that time I witnessed several of those dates very similar dates happening where the dude just would not stop talking and the girl kind of had to be like yeah so I okay (laughs) all right um and so I was like what if you know he just kept talking and she did something crazy like spilled coffee on herself or flashed him or you know, s- smeared the cake on herself mm-hmm. through a chair or whatever. Um, and he just didn't notice her because that's how I felt when I was sitting in the chair across from that person. That's crazy. And so I just kind of made, I, I truly wrote it just out of like personal frustration with men. And then um, the ending, which is kind of question, you know, questionable, like why, you know, because in the end she does agree to go out with him again. And it's like, why would you do that to yourself? But we do. We we go out with, you know, we su- subject ourselves to being treated poorly and basically ignored because we want a relationship. Mm-hmm. And that, that doesn't just apply to women. That applies to everyone. Um, and I think as far as online dating, I think it more speaks, I mean, I, I think it just speaks to dating. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think, I mean, I think it speaks to both. Mm-hmm. I th- uh, I don't know. Maybe dates have become an excuse to just word vomit and just, you know, talk about yourself. But I don't think that's the, that is, that should be the point. It's probably one of the deepest interviews. 
Oh no. I'm not saying no, that's a good <laughs> thing. I, yeah, this is awesome. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, kind of touch on that. <laughs> I have a, a a good friend of mine is an actor, and he wrote he co-wrote a film when he was in grad school, and it got kind of famous. And mm. he wrote it about a girl, and he saw her at the theater going <gasps> to check out the movie. Oh, a real girl. It's like, almost what the like, movie's called, but I'll tell you afterwards. Um, have you thought anything about that? If the person were oh, to he, see he it, doesn't give, he doesn't give a. I won't say. What <laughs> <laughs> we can bleep it out. That's what she's here for. Uh, no, I don't think. I don't think he would even know. I don't have any contact with him. Um, that would be so great if mm-hmm. he saw it and and knew. Um, it's kind of it. Kind of the character of Frankie like represents. It's not just him. It was. You know, it's it's many many a culmination, um, but if it can start a dialogue with with uh, between men and women about being talked over, which again has been a theme uh, in especially like the political world this year, mm-hmm. I think that that would that would be my ideal goal. Um, so I would love it if he saw it. That's great. Why not? I mean, the guy that that played Frankie in the film is one of my dear friends now, but he even is he even will admit that he does that, and women do that too, of course. So it's not, but I think I think it is a gendered problem because um, of you know women's role historically, but women do do it too. Mm-hmm. My gra- my my old Italian grandmother who is a bit of a sexist. <laughs> I won't send her this interview. <laughs> um, she No, she's amazing and supportive. But, you know, she she just couldn't stop saying, Annie, I really think that this applies to women as well. <laughs> and I was like, of course, but that's not the point. <laughs> you know, you have, haven't you felt this with men? She's like, I felt it more with women. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Well, it's clearly not for you then. That's amazing. <laughs> so what... what how- Mention one more time how fans can will be able to check this out. Hopefully, it'll be out online at some point. Yeah, it'll definitely be online mm. in the next six months. Um, but before then, I don't know how they can check it out. They can't, I guess. <laughs> that sucks. Well, it's great. I, you showed it to me. I'll put I up. Love I'm, it. I'm sure I'll put up like a a, tr- a preview oh, for it great. at some point, mm. um, and and that would just be under my name um, on Vimeo. But yeah, the the, the, I, the I will definitely share it at some point in the world, and I'm so grateful that you watched it. No, yeah. it was awesome. It was amazing. Thank you so um, much. I want to ask too. I mean, obviously you have many years left of your career, but I mean, uh, you would you ever want to transition towards just directing something, or ju- what do you kind of want to? What, what where do you see trajectory ride wise where you're? Yeah, I could not act without writing. Writing is the thing that keeps me grounded. It keeps me feeling in power and in control of my creative actions. Mm -hmm. Because with acting, I'm so grateful to be working on Bull right now. But a lot of the time, you do have to be given permission to act unless you're in an acting class or you're self-generating work. Mm -hmm. So part of why I started self-generating my own work is, you know, because I didn't want to keep waiting for other people to say yes to me so I definitely will write and hopefully write direct and act for as long as I possibly can 
but I think eventually I'll, I'll transition transition to writing and directing and then you know acting when it feels right um, but I don't know it's hard to say right now I'm really enjoying doing all three at once that's great because yeah. it's so hard and but so rewarding mm-hmm. um I think as an actor, actors, we just don't realize that we have the the power to write the roles that we want to play. You know what I mean? Like, we don't have to, we don't have to just look at what's available to us. We can do anything. And I don't, I don't think that's taught enough, but it is starting to become more and more of a theme in television and movies when we see the person who's the creator is the person who's starring in it. And that's, I think, a really exciting thing. What's the best thing you've learned since, I guess, rapping on the the short? The best thing I've learned since rapping. As a director, or even a writer. That's such a good question. Well, I did, I did learn that preparation does pay off in many ways, and also in certain ways like things you know inevitably you always something that you did not expect always comes up so there was like a bit in the short um where I was meant to hack off a bit of my hair it was extensions and it just the buzzer that we had would not do it Mm -hmm. so that's not in the movie anymore um and luckily it all kind of came together but no one could have predicted that we when we tested it it was fine so you know little things like that and then in post I'm kind of a novice with post and so between sound and color and VFX um, I was just in over my head with so much of that and it wound up all kind of working out after a lot of work and that's all due to the people that did it but you know I didn't ever go to film school and I'm just learning all of this you know my whole education is in acting so it was a great and very humbling lesson in the way post flow works um but you don't really you know if someone just tells you what to do you don't really learn it in the same way as you do when you make big mistakes because then you'll never make those same mistakes again or you you know you you rarely would Mm -hmm. so i think that uh that was the biggest lesson was learn the learn the order of things with post and and you know don't don't worry about spending you know spending too much money or spending too much time on them because their post winds up being as important as production i have so many geeky technical questions but i know people, to ask. people listening would just kill me <laughs> like um, what i, was, I mean I was, post what would you uh edit with um premiere okay but I didn't edit it because um, I, I am. While I play a computer whiz on TV, I'm <laughs> definitely not one. So um, you didn't edit it per se, but I mean, I, I'm sure you had most of the say, obviously, in how it was edited. Obviously, the guy that I edit with um, on everything, Henry, is um, who I who's in a production company with me. We kind of, we'll we'll bicker on some things and we'll we'll differ. But um, a lot of the time we're on the same page and we're able, you know, to disagree and then both defend our 
choices and then most often times one will defer to the other and be like oh no you're right Mm -hmm. so we have a we have a pretty good relationship uh as far as editing goes where it feels like one brain but two people um and then there was a lot of vfx in the movie even though it maybe doesn't seem like it they weren't supposed to be terribly obvious um and what's interesting about that is i was wearing a stripy dress um and that is really, really hard to like edit mm-hmm. anything with um, because to match those lines is just almost impossible. Um, and then the score was all live musicians, which is was important to me. Um, and we we really like went through because because the movie wasn't really choreographed to any sort of like tempo or or song. Um, I really wanted the music to reflect the pace and the dramatic arc of the movie. And Justin, the composer, did, I thought, the best job with it. And I remember he came in um, on our first meeting when we had never met, and he had the idea of doing a tango, which is what it wound up being. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that that was, like, the most uh, fitting style of music that I would never have thought of. Um, And then... The, the last technical story I'll say is that because there were so many gags, I'll say, um, we had to do a lot of sound design to really bring those out. So, like, with the cake smushing. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Like, that was a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and our Foley mixer, Joanna, um, did an amazing job. She, like, got, like, some sort of cheesecake or something and just really, like... <laughs> Um, but it was all, it's crazy. It's as, you know, it's because I'm coming at this as an actor, I don't know any of these steps really, except from the movies I've made before that, you know, um, that the post wasn't as extensive. So it, it was just, all of that was such a learning lesson for me in, in how important all of that is. A movie, a movie truly can just transform based on things like, you know, the level of breathing of the main character that you hear. It's amazing. Yeah. Then fa- mm-hmm. I, I guess people can go to your website or your Twitter and you'll have all the info when it's... Yeah, my website would be best. Mm-hmm. I, I'm like, I'm not great at tweeting. Um, but my website, yeah. And the, what's the website is? It's iloveannabelle.com, which is sounds like a really narcissistic website, <laughs> but... For some reason, I'm obsessed with St. Vincent, the musician. Oh, yeah. And her, her website's ilovesaintvincent.com, uh-huh. and I was just like, I'm just going to do the same thing as Annie Clark. And it, it's um, only two L's in this one, right? Okay. In your name? Yeah, because I know your Instagram has like 40 L's or something. <laughs> I know. That was maybe not a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's A-N-N-A-B-E-L-L-E. That's it. Do you know how many L's are in your Instagram? I think six. Because I have to log in and out. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Is that like a bad thing? What's your Instagram? Is it's it just your name? It's just my name. Oh, I like I like it. I just... Uh... Annabelle blank was... Ta- I mean, just <laughs> Annabelle on its own was taken. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, I had like such screen name schizophrenia <laughs> when I was little. I like always had a new screen name. So I just wanted to do my name, but my first name. Because mm-hmm. um, my last name, truly no one can spell. <laughs> um, so, but maybe now you're making me insecure no, about my name. <laughs> everyone 
Just find the Annabelle with like six. Six L's. Maybe six L's, maybe not. No, it's definitely six L's on Instagram. Six L's, okay. Because, um, <laughs> like, trust me, I've logged in incorrectly so many times <laughs> that I've had to memorize the amount of L's. Can we mention, too, how you got connected here? How you came to be here? Your, what, in your New Your Marvel connection. My Marvel connection? Yeah. George. No, close. Nikwam? Yes. Can we meet? I guess we already have. Hell yeah. He'll love it because I know Nikwam loves uh, any shout outs. Oh, good. But you are trained. Wait, you you get trained by the same guy that trains our superhero Daredevil. Charlie Cox. Yeah. I know. It's kind of hard to believe. Have you guys ever worked out together? No, he doesn't do two at a time, but he's an amazing trainer, as you know, as evidenced by Charlie. Um, and he's also just a great life coach and, and advice giver and a really sweet guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's the best. And you also are trained by, this is a le- less of a uh, connection, but he, he trains Jennifer Gray, who is Clark Gregg's wife, who is also Agent Coulson. Mm-hmm. On Marvel stuff. Yes. Hell yeah. I'm getting far away from the... The Marvel fam is all is all up in Nikon's <laughs> gym. It's, it's actually really true. There yeah. is, I've, met, I've met several of the people that work here through him. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, it's awesome for him. He just, he's, he's, I guess he's part of the Marvel family now too. Big nerd, yeah. He, um, yes, oh my god, his shirt collection is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's just always a new, a new uh, shirt new comic shirt he's shown me so many so many different things as well um anything else you want to uh promote or let the fans know about before we show you around or um no just you know look out for frankie keeps talking and watch bull tuesdays at nine mm-hmm. and uh, again you're gonna just be a superstar in probably six months so oh thank you uh, it's wish i'll say it's um <laughs> great stuff and um yeah everyone check out the short it's it's fantastic and thanks for taking the time we appreciate it of course this is so fun this is marvel your universe